Hey, Life Church. Uh, wow, what a privileged opportunity to be here. I appreciate so much. This church has such a great reputation. It's so cool to see your local impact as well as your global impact. This is not just a healthy local church, but what you're doing around the world is an incredible, it's, it's, it's a miracle, and it's incredible. And thank you. Thanks for being a model church. You know, I'm in a different church every weekend, sometimes twice a week in urban settings and rural settings, mega churches, small churches. And I can tell you something, great churches aren't built accidentally. They're not. There's a, it takes the blessing of God. It takes people like you that understands that church is not just a religious fraternity that gathers for 60 minutes a week, but it also takes um, called and capable leadership. And so it's so evident on this campus that when it comes to a great church, not just here, but in Milwaukee and Appleton and soon to be Brookfield, when it comes to a great church, you got all three. You got the favor of the Lord, you got a community of people, and from my vantage point, you have the absolute best sitting right down there in Pastor Aaron and Tammy. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for doing it right. Well, how many of you know not all weekends are created equal in church? And so I think every weekend God has something unique for us, and I feel that way about this weekend. So I'm going to ask you to take your copy of God's Word and, and turn with me or click on, if you've got it on your smart device, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, and uh, while you're turning there, we're going we're to look about three verses between verse 17 and 20 of Romans chapter 4, but while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? <laughs> you know, one of the most difficult things in life is to, um, is to sit in God's waiting room. God's waiting room is that place where there's something beyond your control that you can't speed up. You're wanting a resolve. You're wanting an answer. You're wanting maybe a change in a situation. And it seems like you're in a hurry and God's not. <laughs> That's the waiting room. And when we come to Romans chapter 4, Paul writes about an Old Testament famous biblical character who found himself in a waiting room. And let's see how Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 4. Pick up the reading in verse 17. Scripture says, As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Now check this out, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said. So shall your offspring be. Now watch, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. If anybody knew what it was like to hang out in a waiting room, it was Abraham. Here's the backstory: When Abraham was 75 years old, God promised he and his wife, Sarah, that they would have a baby. That baby would become a great leader, the leader of, of, of Israel, a nation. And at 99, Abraham still hadn't had a baby. 24 years waiting for something to happen, being in a hurry for something to come about, and yet it hadn't happened. 
But I noticed that Abraham didn't lose the faith. He didn't walk away from the faith. He didn't become a victim and say, God must be picking on me. I actually see some things in Abraham's life that helped him become more mature in his faith and to deal with life issues even while hanging out in the waiting room. And for a few minutes tonight, can we unpack a few of those? What did Abraham do to not only survive the waiting room experience, what did he do to actually kind of grow in his faith in that waiting room experience? The first thing I noticed that Abraham did in the waiting room is that he kept in mind that God can do absolutely anything. Can I ask you tonight, how many of you here believe that God can do absolutely anything? Yeah. I, I see that in Abraham. You see, I think sometimes in life we have to recognize just because the situation is out of our control doesn't mean it's out of God's control. So sometimes you've got to stop focusing on what you can't do and focus on what God can do. That's, that's what verse 17 says. Check it out. Abraham believed the God who gives life to the dead and creates something out of nothing. In a miracle, that's what happens. God creates something out of nothing. He brings life to something that's dead. It's almost as if Paul is sort of reflecting on what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 when Jesus said what's impossible with man, guess what? It's not impossible with God. And I would submit to you, Life Church, that Abraham put his trust and his faith in God. He didn't put his faith in himself. He didn't put his faith in an accountability group. He didn't put his faith in his uh, religious associate. He didn't even put his faith in positive thinking. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Positive thinking's good. But if you discover this, positive thinking can only take you so far. Positive thinking works when you're dealing with situations that are in your control. But when you're dealing with situations that are out of your control, you need a faith in a God who the Bible says his name is El Shaddai. He's the God of all plenty. He's the all-sufficient one. That's what Abraham did. He put his faith in God. And Abraham believed that when he would cry out to the Lord, God would hear his cry. Aren't you glad that tonight we serve a God that when we cry out to him, he actually hears us? I suspect I discovered the power of rescue and the power of God, uh, of just that whole responding to the cry from my grandson, Jackson. Now, can I ask, do we have any grandparents in the house? Can I see your hand? Any grand? Yes. Have you discovered grandkids really are God's reward for not killing your own? <laughs> We've got five that are of ages six and under. I'm into this grandparenting thing, and I've quickly discovered the reason why grandparents and grandkids have such great chemistry is because we have the same common enemy, their parents. <laughs> so Jackson's my oldest grandson, just turned six yesterday. And the other thing I've discovered about grandkids is how at an early age they know how to use this device right here. So Jackson, my five-year-old, knows how to take his mom's phone and FaceTime me. Anytime I see a FaceTime call coming in from my daughter's phone, I hit the red button. I know it's Jackson. He usually goes something like this. Hey, little buddy, how are you? He says, Papa, how are you? And he takes the phone from his mom's hand and he runs into his bedroom. He shows me all the dinosaurs that are lined up on the windowsill. Then he'll show me his Spider-Man pajamas or T-shirt. Then he turns it around. I can only see half of his face. And we have this delightful conversation. Well, this past January... Um, I received a pretty intense FaceTime call from Jackson. Now, here's the backstory. 
Jackson's mom, my daughter, my firstborn daughter, decided that in December she was going to change Jackson's diet. Now, Mom and Dad, I want you to support me in this, she said, but I think this will help his attention span. So in the middle of the Christmas holiday season, Jackson's mom, my daughter, put my grandson on a vegan, gluten-free diet. <laughs> I thought I raised her better than that. Mom and Dad, I want you to support me in this. Yeah, all right, so... It's December 22nd. I see a FaceTime call coming in from my daughter's phone. I know it's Jackson. I'm thinking, hey, he survived a trip to the mall to visit Santa, or maybe he, he got a new toy early. I hit the red button. I said, Jackson, how are you, little buddy? And on the other end of that FaceTime call was this sad, starving-looking face of a six-year, five-year-old boy. And immediately he said, Papa, Papa, I don't want to FaceTime you. Rescue me, Papa, rescue me. Well, I knew exactly what that meant. I said, little buddy, I will be right there. I jumped in my truck. I went over. I picked up Jackson. I plopped him down in the front seat of my truck. We immediately went through a Sonic drive-thru. I got some large loaded cheesy fries, a strawberry Terminator limeade, and I was rescuing my grandson from that bondage diet, vegan, gluten-free. Can I get a witness in this house? When Jackson knew that he didn't have the resources or the physical ability to work his way out of a situation, he had this confidence that Papa can do absolutely anything. You know, the Bible says that as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear and serve him. Maybe you find yourself in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is. Don't you ever forget that we serve a God that can do absolutely anything. And when you call on him, he will hear and he'll answer you. Second thing I noticed in the life of Abraham and his waiting room experience is this, that he kept in mind that God's promises were real. He kept in mind that God's promises were real. Did you see that in verse 18? The Bible says that when hope was starting to die inside of him. The Bible says when hope was dead within him, he went on hoping in faith, believing he would become the father of many nations. Now watch this. He relied on the word of God that referred to your descendants. You ever felt like hope was dying inside of you? You can tell that hope is starting to die inside of you when you start to use the word never a lot. You say things like, I'll never be able, I'll never, my spouse will never, my job will never, my boss will never, my supervisor, my kids will never. But I got to tell you something, Life Church. I'm convinced that you and I can handle almost any trial or any test in life if we will learn to rely on the promises of God. That's why your pastor puts such a high priority on Scripture. That's why a lot of Scripture is used when people teach because we happen to believe that God's Word is a great anchor for our emotions and a protection for our thinking when we're going through one of those why is this happening to me type times. There's nothing better than God's Word. You say, Doug Clay, do you really believe that strongly in the, in the power of the Word of God? Yeah, I do because here's what I've discovered. 
God has both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he made in the book. Every promise. He's got integrity and ability. Have you ever been the victim of a broken promise? If someone has broken their word to you, it's either because they weren't, they didn't have character, they didn't have integrity, or maybe they just didn't have the resources to back up what they said they could do. But I want you to know, Life Church, we serve a God that's got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise that he made in his word. And his word is an anchor for our emotions. His word protects our thinking. Because here's what happens either when you're in a waiting room experience or you're going through something that you, you're like, man, I never saw this coming. You've got one of two things. When you go through those times, you can either try to listen to yourself. But I don't know about you. Myself lies to me at times. Myself doesn't always tell me the truth about the reality of my situation. Or you can listen to the truth of God's word. And that's what Abraham did. The Bible says when hope was dying inside of him, he relied upon the promises of God. I suspect I discovered the power of uh, God's both integrity and ability to, to deliver good on his word when I was a freshman in college. So I'm like, I grew up in Michigan and I'm a third generation <laughs> preacher's kid. Man, I was born and raised in the church. I, uh, I cut my teeth on the back of church pews. In fact, we used to have services on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And there were many Sunday nights I was left sleeping in a pew. My dad was the pastor. My mom was the minister of music. So mom thought dad was going to take me home. Dad, mom was going to take me home. Can, can I tell you, when you wake up and you're eight years old and the lights are out in a church, that's a spooky place to wake up. I'm just telling you. You hear things you shouldn't hear. I, oh, I love the church. I've got a lot of fond, fond memories of the church. Well, when I was nine years old, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. I was nine. My brother was 15. My sister was 18. My dad was only 40 years old when he passed away. But, you know, I never really felt disadvantaged or the negative ramifications of being raised by a single mom. Let me just put a comma right here. You know, tonight, if you're in this room and you're a single mom, I just want to say something to you. Number one, I want you to know you're my hero. And number two, I want you to know you can make it. You can make it. I believe there's a dispensation of the grace of God that's given to single mom, and I'm the product of that. But I also know you're going to need a church, much like Life Church. Because when I was growing up, I had all these spiritual dads. I had Sunday school teachers who would take me to Detroit Tiger baseball games. I had Royal Ranger commanders who helped me build my Pinewood Derby cars. And this will sound weird, but growing up, I kind of felt sorry for kids who only had one dad. Because <laughs> they had all these spiritual dads. So I took off and I went to school to chase after this dream to become a pastor and to go in the ministry. And when I was at school, I started meeting other preacher's kids. 
In fact, my sweet mate was a preacher's kid from Carlinville, Illinois, and on weekends he would go home and his dad would give him an opportunity to take part in the service. His, his dad would maybe help let him be a part of a, a church council meeting. He'd come back. We'd stay up late Sunday night, early hour Sunday morning, and he'd say things like, you know, my dad said this is how we ought to, uh, this is how our governance structure ought to be. My dad said this is how we ought to do outreach. My dad said this is how we ought to equip people for ministry. My dad said, my dad said, my dad... And for one of the first times in my life, I felt like I had been cheated by God. I thought, Lord, I would like a dad that would mentor me in this pastoral thing. I'd like a dad that would walk out these principles with me. Now watch this. Because I wasn't processing the reality of my situation through Scripture, I started listening to myself. And myself was telling me that God was unjust. God was unfair. This stinks. And I worked myself up into such a mindset that I was ready to quit school, go home and take care of my mom because I thought God was unfair. I remember one Wednesday night calling home and I said, Mom, I can't connect the dots on this one. Why would God take dad from us at such an early age? It doesn't make sense. And like only a cool, godly pastor's wife mom could do, my mom said, honey, I can't answer all your whys, but I can promise you this. And she broke into this really cool prayer. Her prayer started like this. Lord, you said in your word. <laughs> you want to know something? I grew up with my mom using that phrase an awful lot. Now, can I tell you something? I am 55 years old. I am the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. But I got to confess something to you. I don't think everything my mom said was in the book was really in the book, Okay. <laughs> I think she just used that phrase to leverage her authority for us boys to kind of obey. And, but this time, she was spot on. Her prayer went like this. Lord, you said in your word, you'd be a father to the fatherless. And I claim that promise for my son, Doug, in Jesus' name. Well, we hung up and I didn't feel any better. I was still ready to quit school, go home and take care of her. God was unjust. Two days later, they used to always have this like mission service at the Bible school that I attended where they would have a missionary come in and kind of share what's happening in their part of the world. And I remember at the end of that presentation, all these students were going forward, kind of singing, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. And they were making these declarations of commitment and Man, I didn't. I just turned around and I knelt in my chapel seat. And at this point, I wasn't even able to pray. I was just venting frustration to God. God, this stinks. I was in that knelt position for a few minutes, feeling sorry for myself. This now had kind of turned into I'm a victim. <laughs> Pretty soon, I felt the strength and a warmth of a huge hand placed on my back. I turned around and I looked, and there was Coach Arnold. Coach was the basketball coach at Central Bible College. He's 6'6", 250 pounds, just this hulk of a man, and he had his paw, I mean his hand on my back, you know. And um, when I turned around and looked at him, he had this crocodile tear coming down his cheek. He said, Duggar, I knew your dad. We went to school together. I know your mom. Both of them would be really proud of you. 
And then it happened, Life Church. He took his hand and he put it to my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. And he said, I just want you to know, as long as you're at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. And when he said son, I jumped up and I tried to hug him. He hugged me. I snotted and cried all down the front of his shirt. But you know something, Life Church? It was like instant replay going off in my mind. 48 hours earlier, there was a godly mom who said, Lord, you said in your word. And I promise you from that day till now, I have never doubted God's integrity or his ability to deliver good on his promises. Now look, I can't promise you that life is going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you that some of you aren't going to go through some deep disappointments. I can't promise you that good people aren't going to disappoint you. I can't promise you that some of your own family members aren't going to disappoint you. I can't promise you that you're not going to face job transfers, job layoffs, physical things. But here's what I can promise you. Though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, the word of our God stands forever. You can wrap your emotions, you can wrap your mind around the word of God. And when you find yourself in a waiting room, keep in mind that God's promises are valid. That's how you endure your waiting situations. That's how you endure your, why is this happening to me? The Bible says that Abraham, when hope was dying inside of him, he relied on the word of God. Ah, there's several things to keep in mind from Abraham. Let's look at one more. Well, just, just one more. I think one of the ways that Abraham survived his waiting room experience is that he had the ability, now watch this, he had the ability to face his realities with faith in God. He faced his facts with faith. I mean, did you catch that? Verse 19, it says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Now, catch this. Abraham's not denying the reality of his situation. <laughs> I mean, he recognized he was beyond childbearing years, 99 years old, and his wife was 89 years old. You say, Doug, what's your point here? My point is this. Real faith never ignores the reality of life's issues. You see, you got to be careful because there's this brand of teaching out in some charismatic churches that goes something like this, that if you're a person of really mature faith, then you'll never have any issues. Can I tell you there's a Greek word that describes that philosophy? Baloney. <laughs> because how many of you know it rains on the just and the unjust? Sickness comes to Christians and non-Christians. Bad things happen to righteous people. So here's the issue. The issue is not whether or not your faith is so mature that you're going to avoid. Real faith doesn't ignore the realities of life's issues. Real faith looks squarely in the face of life's issues and says, you know what? i got a God that's bigger than that. And in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. I've got a God whose name is El Shaddai. He's the all-sufficient one. He is God Almighty. Tonight, I want to leave you with this thought. When you accept Jesus Christ into your life, when you become a Christ follower, God the Father delights in taking parental responsibility for you. And when God takes parental responsibility for you, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our God. 
It's true. Parental responsibility, it's a big deal. I learned about it uh, last Easter. Um, my youngest daughter and her two kids go to, we go to New Life Church in Springfield, and I'm not there too many Sundays, but on this Sunday I was there. It was Easter Sunday. Mason is my three-year-old redheaded grandson from my youngest daughter, and I thought, you know what? After service, I'm going to go pick up Mason from the nursery. I'm just going to surprise him and pick him up. I had it all worked out that when the pastor said, okay, hey, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I was going to sneak out the door and go pick him up, and man, things were going great right on time. Pastor Ryan said, hey, let's pray church. When he said, let's pray, I slipped out of my seat. I walked out and I started heading to the children's area. Well, I got to the nursery area where the twos and the three-year-olds were at, and the doors only come halfway up. You can see in, but the doors come halfway up to keep the kids in. And, and I saw Mason. He was playing Legos there. And, and he, while he was playing Legos, he turned and we made eye contact. I was about 10 feet away. I saw Mason. He saw me. He dropped his legos. He ran to the door. He said, Papa, Papa. I said, hey, Mason. And just as I was about to reach down and pick him up, a nursery worker came and walked right in front of me. She said, excuse me, can you help me? I said, yeah, that's my grandson. I'm here to get. She says, do you have his registration badge? I thought, woman, I am the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And I could tell what she was thinking. White boy, I don't care if you're LeBron James. I got to have his little identification number. So I had to go back into the sanctuary, grab his identification badge number that had all those numbers and letters on. When I came and presented to her, she said, oh, here's Mason. He's been waiting for you. <laughs> now, first of all, how many of you know that nursery worker was doing her job, right? So she was doing her job. Give it up for the nursery workers. Yeah. But here's kind of what I discovered. The power of parental responsibility. When you say yes to Christ, when you say yes to saying, Lord, I wanna, I'm going to invite you into my life not just to be Lord but to be Savior. I'm going to let you direct my steps. You can face the realities of your situations with a tremendous confidence that you're a child of God, you're an heir of God, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how strong or weak your faith is. As a child of God, you have the ability to claim every promise that he ever made. So cool. So Abraham found himself for 24 years hanging out in God's waiting room. Kind of in a hurry when it didn't seem like God was. And yet he kept in mind that God can do absolutely everything. He kept in mind that the promises of God are valid. They're real. And he faced the reality of his situation, not with just some false pretense. He faced his reality with the facts that he served to God. You know, unless I miss my guess here, maybe in Milwaukee, maybe in Appleton, there are some of you that might find yourself in a waiting room. I know I've been there on a couple different occasions. And if you find yourself in the waiting room tonight, being in a hurry and it doesn't seem like God is, you find yourself dealing with situations that were not on your radar at the beginning of the year, but now it's all you can think about. You fall asleep about it. You wake up. You try to, how am I going to get out of this? 
it's, it's energy draining to you. Maybe it's a physical situation. Maybe it's a relational situation. I don't know. But here's what I'd like to encourage you with a thought tonight. Is that God's in the waiting room with you. In fact, he's probably not going to airlift you out of the waiting room, but I can promise you he will be with you in the waiting room. I personally have never experienced God airlifting me out of a waiting room, but I've experienced him being with me in a waiting room. You see, it's a part of his nature. He's been doing it all throughout humanity. Think about it. He was with Jonah in the middle of the belly of the whale. He was with the Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. He was with the prodigal son in the pig pen. He was with Paul and Silas in prison. He was with Joseph during his time of false accusations and mistreatment. He was with Elijah during his depression. So if you're waiting for God to just sort of airlift you out of the waiting room, you might be waiting a long time. But if you'll look for God to be with you in the waiting room, you'll find out that he's as close as the mention of his name, that he's right there. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. So I want to encourage you that God's with you in the waiting room. Keep in mind, he can do absolutely anything. Keep in mind, his promises work. And keep in mind, you can face, you can look at the reality of what's right in front of you and not think that you're some person of a lack of faith, just the opposite. You're a child of God who, when you say yes to Jesus, our Heavenly Father delights in taking parental responsibility for your life. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you today for your, uh, just for your word. I, I love how practical your word is. A couple thousand years ago it was written, but it has 21st century application to us. Lord, I want to thank you today, according to Psalm 46, that you're my refuge, you're my strength. You really are my ever-present help in time of need. So um, this afternoon, Lord, I pray for two groups of people in this room. Those in the waiting room that don't know you and those who might be in the waiting room that do know you, but just need their faith encouraged. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a few more moments. If you're here tonight and you'd say, hey, Doug Clay, would you include me in your final prayer? I want to speak to that first group of people. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, you know what? I've never come to the place in my life where I know for certain if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. Pastor Clay, I've never come to that place where, where I live with the full assurance that I've been adopted by God, that he's adopted me into his forever family. Maybe you're here and you know a lot about the church, you know some of the songs, you know some of the people, you might even have relatives that work at a church. But if you're honest tonight, you would say, you know what? I have never crossed that line from knowing with full confidence that I belong to him, he belongs to me, and he delights in taking parental responsibility for my life. You would make this weekend so very special, whether you're here in Germantown, maybe you're in Milwaukee, maybe you're in Appleton. But if you're here tonight and you would say, Doug Clay, include me in your final prayer. I want to accept Christ into my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you come forward. I simply want to include you in my final prayer. So while everybody else's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, 
and you would want me to include you in my prayer of inviting Christ into your life, just raise your hand and look at me, would you? I just, I want to make it. Yeah, thanks, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Someone else, join these seven adults. Yeah, thanks, young man. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I simply just want to invite you to live with the confidence of knowing that Jesus Christ wants a personal relationship with you and he wants to remind you on a daily basis that God the Father, his Father, delights in taking parental responsibility for your life. Anyone else? I want to make sure we make eye contact and and we got this. So there was probably seven or eight individuals. Here's what I'd like to do. I want to pray a prayer, but I'm going to ask the entire gang here of Life Church, this is our entire room here, to repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer that some of us have prayed before, but it's simply a prayer that acknowledges Christ as God's Son. We're a sinner, can't save ourselves, and we're going to invite Christ to come into our life and establish himself as our Savior and Lord. So here's what I'll do. I'll pray a couple phrases, then I want you to repeat this prayer after me, if you will. Can we do that together? So repeat after me, will you? Lord Jesus, I do believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came from heaven to earth to die for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And establish yourself as my Savior and my Lord. So with my mouth I confess and in my heart I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I accept your free gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, congratulations, congratulations, congrats. Come on, let's put our hands together for thee. Congratulations and welcome to the family of God.